Welcome to the latest episode of the IIF Global Regulatory Update Podcast. I'm Martin Boer, Senior Director of Regulatory Affairs at the Institute of International Finance in Washington, D.C. Today, I am delighted to be joined by EY Global Financial Practice Leaders, Yum Bellens, Bill Hobbs, and Chris Woolard to discuss the findings of our new 12th Annual EY IIF Report on Global Bank Risk Management Priorities. Jan Bellens is the EY Global Banking and Capital Market Sector Leader. Bill Hobbs is Managing Director of Financial Services Consulting and Center for Board Matters. And Chris Woolard is the Chair of the EY Global Financial Services Regulatory Network. So a great panel to be discussing these themes. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the key findings from our 12th Annual Bank Risk Management Survey, which has just been released, with CROs from around 90 banks from 30 countries participating. So let me start with Jan. This is another big milestone for us as we've been working on this survey together at EY and the IF for 12 years now. Can you tell us a bit, Jan, about the views of CROs and how they've changed across that period, for example, between financial risks and non-financial risks? Thank you, Martin, and thanks for, uh, for having us. Um, it's been a great collaboration already for, uh, for 12 years now between the IIF and EY. And indeed, uh, the views of CROs and boards have actually quite evolved. Uh, the first five years after the financial crisis, credit and regulatory risk were absolute top of the agenda. Then I think since uh, about five years ago and 2016 in particular, cyber and technology risk has really shot to the top of the agenda for, uh, for CROs and for boards alike. And then since about three years, uh, climate risk has also shot into the top three or top five uh, of, of risks that CROs and boards have to deal with. Definitely, to your point, non-financial risk is getting a lot more attention, while at the same time, the credit risk is not going away. And I think this is the key theme of our survey this time around, is the complexity of the CRO role is getting increasingly uh, difficult and, and burdensome. The theme of our survey this year is seeking stability within volatility. How interdependent risks put CROs at the heart of the banking business. Chris, can you talk a bit about the interconnectedness of risks and what impact they have on each other and how that impacts the ability of CROs and firms to manage those risks? Thanks, Martin. I think it's fair to say that we are living through a period of very high complexity, particularly if you're trying to run a global financial services firm. So we've got a whole manner of things coming together at the moment. So you've got uh, the situation with COVID in terms of both the health impacts, but also uh, the economic impacts of that. And then you know, the world really starting to sort of emerge from that sort of period of strain. You have, you know, laying over the top of that uh, a series of global tensions. You've got war in Ukraine. Um, and then, you know, sitting behind those things, you've got a whole series of other issues around technological development, uh, cyber vulnerabilities, and, and, and so on. And so, I mean, it's, it's interesting. This is the year in which a number of global dictionaries have, have, have admitted the word permacrisis as being this sort of new phenomenon. But for the CRO, I mean, I think this makes it a really complex managed environment. And and as you say, some of these things clearly begin to link and mesh together. So 
how you emerge from uh, the complexities of COVID absolutely speaks to credit risk. It absolutely speaks to uh, wider prudential questions that you might face as a firm. How you deal with your positioning globally in relation to some of the tensions that we can see in the world uh, speaks again to you know the amount of financial risk you might be running and the, and, the, and the sort of bottom line for the firm. So, you know, all of these things require a really very, very skilled CRO, someone who can actually see this wider sort of geopolitical picture as much as managing the day-to-day prudential health of the business. And so I think that the demands upon the CRO role have never really been higher. Well, a wide tapestry of risks. Uh, let's turn to the risk management perspective of it. Bill, from your experiences working with boards and perspectives around risk management, what are the biggest impacts that these risks are having on CROs and risk management in general? And how is risk management as a discipline adjusting to these new priorities? Thank you, Martin. I'd say first from a governance perspective at the board level, it's never been um, more important to kind of have a keen understanding of the firm's risk appetite uh, statement and the direction of travel around um, those elements of a risk appetite statement from a governance perspective for boards um, in this operating environment and how the puts and takes to the statement um, continue to align, as Chris was saying, to the strategy of the bank Um, as well as to just the day-to-day changes that are taking place because of the interdependencies that we highlight in this year's uh, survey report. So I think, again, it's created um, uh, an incredible amount of of governance-related dialogue, both with management teams and at the board level uh, around this operating environment. Um, In terms of the impact for the CROs, I think one one item we saw in this year's survey is um, is evident uh, relative to prior years is we had more CROs participating in the survey this year, um, which highlights the points that have already been mentioned that uh, the CRO job is a very stressful job and it's a very meaningfully important job. But the fact that we had so many new CROs this year tells you just uh, about the stress of the role. I think the second item around impact is the, uh, the cost of risk management has gone up. And we'll talk about that um, during the course of today's discussion. But um, the cost of uh, managing the talent in a risk organization is going up. Um, The processes around running a risk management um, organization, as we've seen in this year's survey results, um, are going up. And risk management organizations and banks more broadly continue to invest in uh, technology and systems um, to try to find some level of of efficiencies. Um, But as we all know, the returns on those types of longer term projects take time to materialize and there's still upfront costs that go into just the investments in those um, related tools, if you will. Um, I think the other element of uh, impacts to CROs and their risk management teams um, that we saw in this survey is within everything that's been going on this year, institutions are still trying to find areas of growth right, through the expansion of their um, partnerships in the market or their um, activities with different alliances. Um, And they still have to keep an eye on, you know, what are those growth enablement opportunities that that are out there because markets are volatile. And that demands that risk management teams are um, as active as they can be and effectively challenging where the business wants to go, given the changes in the opportunity sets around the globe. Um, And I think finally, as it relates to kind of the impacts of all of these interdependent risks on risk management teams, um, and this kind of goes back to uh, the government governance item, 
is there's been more escalation in this environment. There's been more demands on reporting, uh, both the depth of reporting and the frequency of reporting around different escalation parameters. Um, and I think that's just an, another element of the impacts of all of these interdependent risks that our um, risk organizations continue to respond to. And again, there's only so much capacity in a second line of defense, and there's only so many capabilities as things continue to evolve. Um, but those are some of the adjustments that um, CROs and their risk management teams continue to manage through in this current operating environment. Great. Thank you, Bill. We've certainly had a great partnership over the years so far, and it's great to see just more and more CROs participating each survey round. But when we look at climate, geopolitics, to, of course, living through the pandemic, it does seem like external events and shocks seem to be having a bigger impact on firms at the present moment than at any other point during our survey experience together. So, Jan, let me ask you, how do you see CROs measuring and mitigating for these risks? And are there any significant regional differences as far as you could see in how CROs are viewing these risks? That's certainly true, Martin. And in, uh, in a recent meeting, one executive uh, highlighted that in the current uh, environment, we see 100-year unique events happening pretty much every month, you know, a global pandemic, uh, a land war in Europe. So um, I think that's absolutely uh, spot on. Um, and obviously, CROs and boards are struggling uh, with this. Uh, in terms of identifying and measuring the risk, um, a lot of the CROs are implementing uh, non-financial risk uh, frameworks with clear taxonomy and also clear accountabilities. The first element is, of course, identifying and, and measuring, uh, or at least attempting to measure the risk, although the measurement in itself is extremely complicated uh, and, and hard to do. And then the second element, a component of that is the mitigation. And there, I think we see uh, certainly in the operational and non-financial space, a lot of scenario planning ongoing. And I think as Bill already highlighted, um, is um, thinking about you know, playbooks, uh, creating agility in response, and, and frankly, training teams to prepare for some of the events uh, that, that, are, um, that, are being, uh, that are being tested. So we see, we see a lot of that uh, going on. I think CRO as well recognize that it's almost impossible to predict um, that. So uh, a lot of them are focused on building that muscle to make sure that if uh, one or the other event happens, that uh, the organization can react uh, in an agile in an agile way. Um, uh, one of the recent discussions with CROs highlights that it's really important there to think through what are the second order, third order, and fourth order effects that can happen when, when some of these events come through. I, I think in terms of regional differences, Martin, that you highlight, yes, that came already through in the survey as well. As you can probably imagine with a war in the, in the backyard of Europe, uh, the European uh, CROs have geopolitical risk much higher on their agenda than, for example, in, in Asia or, uh, or in the Americas. And that probably has to do with the fact that there's a much closer, uh, you know, it's just just closer to to their uh, hearts and minds uh, at this particular time. Um, so yes, there there are some regional differences, probably limit linked to those to those events. And as you said, Jan, there's certainly an uptick in all these non-financial risks. And 
one of the risks or one of the priorities that continues to stay at top of mind for, for the CROs and also for their boards is cybersecurity and cyber risk. And we know that the financial services industry is a big target, but it's also a sector which has invested heavily in defending itself. It's highly regulated and becoming very operationally resilient. So, Chris, let me ask you then, why do you think that cybersecurity continues to stay at the very top? And are there any new insights from this year's analysis of the survey responses that you can share with us? So I think it's fair to say, as, as you just pointed out, Martin, I mean, this this is an area where the reliance of the industry on cyber, on data tools generally, has been growing for years. Every single day, most major financial services institutions find themselves subject to some form of attack, which, you know, we never notice because they've invested heavily in, in how they manage to defeat and deal with those kinds of interventions. But I think if you look at this year's survey, the greater prominence that's coming there, I think that reflects really sort of three key themes. I mean, the first is there's definitely linked to geopolitical peace, a much greater concern about state actors and having, you know, more well-resourced cyber attacks that we can see happening uh, around the world, not just in the financial services sector. The second is the risk landscape has changed. I think one of the effects of um, the pandemic and far greater homeworking has been that firms are very conscious their attack surface has become much wider. You know, the attack surface has now moved to uh, everyone's study as much as um, uh, being being in the office itself. And then finally, I think there are changing public attitudes here as well. I think the reputational risk of being subject to a successful cyber attack is is, is moving higher. And particularly for the financial services sector, where much of your reputation is built upon the ability to, to look after people's money and investments and to look after their data securely. Those are kind of key areas of trust that firms have to maintain. Yeah, the trust component is very important, as you say. And I think the role of CROs and the role of risk management has also evolved now, where where the CROs are much more involved within the business lines or closer to the products and the services being developed and rolled out into the market. So, Bill, how do you see that relationship between the CROs, the business lines, and even the customers having changed over the last couple of years? Sure, Martin. So I think maybe starting with the customer, obviously the voice of the customer drives a lot of behaviors that are our banking clients. And I think uh, fundamentally, as we surveyed uh, bank CROs this year, that really um, kind of ties to a, a client's view of how resilient the institution is. Uh, through all of these changes and through all of these uh, volatile markets, customers want to make sure that their banks um, are resilient and can serve them whenever and wherever they are. So I think that focus um, on the resiliency of the enterprise through all of this change is essentially what drives um, a risk management view of, of, their, of how they are doing and their work with the, um, the lines of business. In the survey this year, we did a lot of Q&A with CROs about kind of what have we learned through this environment around the resiliency of the um, enterprise? And more importantly, where, where are banks and CROs going to continue to prioritize resiliency going forward? And, and that's obviously not only just from a cyber perspective, but it's also a technology um, capacity um, related um, dialogue. There's also those related controls that have to be put in place as the bank enterprises change and their, their operations with third parties 
uh, continue to evolve. And so I think just from a customer's perspective and a client perspective, it's all about the resiliency of the institution and having the confidence in, in the institution there, being present for customers uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think then to your question about, you know, how is the relationship between CROs and line of business um, risk leaders and business leaders changing in this environment? Um, and I think we, we we saw at least two references from the survey that I would want to highlight, uh, Martin. First is, I think the bigger the bigger banks in the survey this year were kind of saying they're looking at the business holistically now. Um, there's not really a line of business delineation anymore. The bigger banks have really kind of invested and are looking at the enterprise um, at large. Um, and the regional banks, geographically speaking, are still kind of in line of business um, mode and are operating in that way. Um, and so I think the relationships there have, have bifurcated between the bigger banks and the, the CROs there and their line of business partners versus regional banks. Um, but I think all of them, agnostic to, to size, are still trying to enhance their uh, risk-informed decision-making. As Jan said earlier, um, it's not all models-based, right? It's not all quantitatively based. There's still an element of qualitative risk management that's going into this and those decision-making processes. Um, and I think there's also just an element, as Jan said, around uh, the measurement of these independent risks now that used to be in yesterday's world, more siloed, more based on credit, more based on market. And that measurement is becoming more um, inter interdependently based. And I think we've continued to see that in the results of this survey um, this year, that that continue on with us. And then I think, you know, business lines and CROs are, are trying to come together and say, how do we make the process better? How do we make it better um, from end to end so that ultimately back to the client, um, it's a better experience, right? Um, and that's just not from a credit perspective. That's, again, across the enterprise, whether it's a non-financial risk or a financial risk. So those, so those are some of the findings that um, folks will see when, um, when we publish this report, that there's that dynamic now going on between the business line and the second line of defense um, that's really trying to promote a more efficient and more effective process of risk management from end to end. You mentioned credit as one of the risks, and it was notable that this year uh, credit risk was, again, the second largest priority for CROs and boards. And with fears of a recession and slowing growth in many parts of the world, that's no wonder. But, Jan, what did the survey show you about how credit risk is being controlled and managed? And to what extent, as we're looking into an uncertain future, are, are there also unknown unknowns? Yeah, I think that's a very uh, good point, uh, Martin. And I, I think the fact that it still shows up as number two uh, uh, indicates that CROs are well aware of the risk. At the same time, we do hear from the comments that they are not fussed about it. That was a direct quote from one of the chief risk officers, uh, that they're not fussed about it because it's something, you know, at least the traditional credit risk is something that they know well and that they, they, they should be able to control well. Where we do hear uh, some, some concerns, to your point, it's about indeed the unknown unknowns. You know, perhaps uh, there are some unknown risks 
lurking in private markets that might uh, have contagion effects on the banks. And we've seen some of those. And I think those those components are are important. I think there's also a concern given recent events on liquidity risk, as one of the chief risk officer in one of the interviews also said, there's plenty of liquidity around until there isn't. Um, and I think uh, some of those unknown unknowns uh, are keeping a lot of CROs uh, still awake. Where's the next boogeyman going to come from, I think, is, is, a, is a concern uh, on, on that front. It was also instructive that when we surveyed the CROs and when we asked them, what are you most focused on five years out, that the overwhelming response was the importance of the impact of climate change which has really been one of the fastest climbers in our survey. And so, Chris, what do you see as some of the opportunities and also some of the risks for risk management and CROs when it comes to these topics of sustainable finance, ESG, and climate risks? There's some very clear expectations, I think, being placed upon financial institutions, but the, the role of the CRO in particular. So certainly from a, from a central bank perspective, the stress testing that's being done around the world now really focuses upon what exposures that the, does the bank have towards the effects of climate change, either in terms of the assets that it holds or even its own sort of physical ability to continue to operate and, and, and the effects of climate in, in, in those particular ways. So, so there's a sort of fairly obvious um, agenda there, but nevertheless a very important one and one in which banks are having to adapt quite heavily in terms of how they think about risk. From a conduct perspective, we then also have an overlay around how, given the wider interest in ESG, given the movements towards green investing, uh, how do you avoid greenwashing? How do you make sure that you're representing accurately uh, what, 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 what you're producing as a, as a firm in terms of a product and what you're selling to the market? And then I think underpinning both of those, there is a real fundamental challenge and where you know, we're seeing expertise now really being brought to bear, which is how do you think about the data that you need to actually measure any of these effects? Is it reliable? Is it is it seen as credible by the market and indeed by regulators and governments? And sort of what uh, do you need to bring as a sort of the raw materials, if you like, of thinking about operating in a market where you're you're using products that are very much driven towards, towards climate change? I think though on the on the really sort of positive side of the equation, I think most firms still see a huge opportunity here potentially. I mean, well over 95% of the bonds sold in the world are still not green. It's probably just over about one and a half percent are actually green bonds at this moment in time. So and the demand for financing, particularly around the transition towards net zero. Is, is is something that um, you know many firms are interested in, and we see many many commercial clients approaching in terms of in terms of finance. I also think the flip side of a lot of the global uncertainty we've seen, you know, the very high levels of inflation we've seen around energy prices, has really reinvigorated the debate that says we need alternative, cleaner sources of energy that are cheaper and more dependable. Than relying on fossil fuels and and the global supply of those, um, and so I think there really is a renewed interest in the amount of investment that might be needed for that transition, and clearly the financial sector is placed really in the middle of this, where it can play a huge role in helping solve some of these climate problems, and in doing so, you know, from that transition that is going to be needed really all around the world. 
it's definitely a super important area where the interests with the regulators and the supervisors and the public sector are also very much aligned. So, so we're definitely seeing a lot of that there. And I think that those um, opportunities that you point out as well as those risks are very informative. One other aspect we haven't touched on yet, which, which was highlighted in the survey, was the impact that this is all having on talents, on the employees, on the workforce. And so, Bill, banks need new types of skills in the digital realm. Um, the employees and the talent have also been impacted by the pandemic, which has opened up new ways of working. And how do you see financial firms, banks adjusting to these developments and how is it impacting their ability to manage risk? Sure, thanks, Martin. So back to the point around governance and dialogue with um, with the board. I I've seen over the course of this calendar year that talent and human capital is a board level um, high priority topic, and um, I, I don't think that's going to be going away as we head into uh, 2023. I think specifically about how the pandemic has impacted uh, the talent environment and the human capital. Um, dynamic for uh, CROs and, and banks more broadly, I would just highlight um, a couple of things. One is obviously the uh, the culture has changed because of the impact of the pandemic, right? And trying to keep a risk-based uh, culture intact, as you said, Martin, um, just given the way folks are working now and we'll, we'll be planning to work in the future um, is clearly evident in the survey results this year. And uh, the questions around that topic, um, you know, are, are pretty insightful in terms of what CROs and, and the C-suite more broadly is trying to do to continue to define a culture for the uh, for the banks who participated this year. I think um, a couple of other things to highlight from the survey that I think are important around this um, uh, question of talent is uh, we definitely see saw a large majority of uh, respondents say that talent is one of the most significant longer-term risks facing um, the banking industry. And in uh, some of our interviews around the survey, you know, there were um, elements of this talent topic impacting the resiliency of an organization, which I think we would all acknowledge is is a fair risk. So that's another um, kind of impact you know, that we're, we've seen from the survey and in our work in the market around the pandemic. I think the um, the other elements of our Q&A and the survey this year, Martin, around the talent question and, and the things that are kind of driving uh, talent decision making is that, you know, CROs are working more and more closely with their CHROs and their line of business leaders that kind of have a more in informed discussion around, you know, what is the workforce planning effort we need around our strategy and that we're all aligned toward it going forward instead of it being just a risk decision or just a line of business decision uh, or something that's just the responsibility of the CHRO in, in days gone by. And I think around all of that, CROs are saying from the survey results that they're continuing to build their teams around their high performers. Um, that's nothing new, um, but I think the definition of a high performer has changed in the risk organization meaning those who have um, breadth and depth around many of the risk domains, not just one domain. Um, and I think that's the direction of travel in the future and our questions around what's the risk organization gonna look like in the future. It's gonna be more data-driven. It's gonna be more tech-enabled. It's gonna be driven by those athletes who have more 
um, capabilities in many aspects of risk management than maybe um, those who had expertise in one um, uh, area of risk management um, in yesterday's market. I think a couple of other things that we saw in the survey this year in terms of the results, Martin, is that banks are continuing to invest in training. Um, that's nothing new, but again, training those high performers to be more equipped to manage more types of risk and to be involved in the effective challenge of where the business wants to go um, is part of the newness. And I think um, firms are also saying in terms of the new skills, aside from data and technology related skills, um, we saw, for example, from our GSIB respondents um, that their high priorities are governance, risk and controls related um, risk managers, those who definitely are going to help them in their um, journey from a climate risk and a sustainable finance perspective more broadly. Uh, and then third, around this um, topic of operational resilience, uh, the larger banks are going to continue to invest in those who can see the bigger picture around their definition of um, resiliency and making, um, making investments there for the future. That was clearly over the next um, three to five years. Um, and fundamentally to all of this, I think, um, is that more and more CROs are looking for members of their leadership team and their teams more broadly to have a better understanding of the business of banking and being able to essentially be partners with the first line um, as the strategy continues to unfold and as they have to wrestle with things um, week over week, month over month as well. I think that just um, skill set of better understanding the business going forward is, is um, some, another um, uh, output of what we've seen uh, from the survey this year. That was a great insight, Phil. Thank you. Um, as we think back to our survey report theme of seeking stability within volatility, how interdependent risks put CROs at the heart of the banking business, I wanted to just ask each of you very briefly if you have any final advice for our listeners on how to achieve stability in these times. And let me start with Jan on this question. Thank you, Martin. And and yes, I think we uh, we discussed already quite a bit. I think one of the one of the key dimensions that I think will be important going forward, and we touched upon these, is is obviously that banks operate in a wider ecosystem. And I think what we haven't talked about yet is third parties that can be sources of risk, but also sources of risk mitigation and risk identification. And I think that will be critical for banks going forward to understand how third parties create potential risks within their ecosystem, but then also how can they actually support uh, to, to drive risk mitigation uh, and risk identification. And what about you, Chris? So I think ultimately it comes down to the acceptance that this is a volatile world and it is a complex world in, in the way that Jan referred to earlier of these, you know, 100 year events that seem to keep happening. Um, and so I think there are two things that then CROs can do. I mean, firstly, is a focus on operational resilience. You know, can you uh, survive immediate shocks uh, to an organization? But then also uh, being prepared to, to really invest in agility, so the ability to respond quickly to changing events, as opposed to trying to invest for, for anything that could possibly happen. And I think that combination of resilience and agility are really going to be the key for you know the next few years in, in the market at the very minimum. And what about you, Bill? Any final last recommendations? 
Sure. I would just say that, again, from a, a seeking stability perspective in these volatile markets, um, risk managers um, are, are really kind of charged with both looking at risks and looking at opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, within all of that is just not being complacent to the fact that um, there, there are plenty of risks to mitigate, but there are plenty of opportunities to work with the business to find um, uh, opportunities for growth or opportunities to take advantage of market dislocations um, and, and continuing to kind of find that proper balance um, going forward um, and not being um, kind of complacent to all the things that have already um, taken place or that are already um, solidly uh, working from a, from a risk management perspective, but just continuing to kind of uh, be in, in, in touch and being um, uh, closely aligned with where the next set of opportunities may be there on a risk-adjusted basis. Those are all great recommendations, Jan and Bill and Chris. So thank you so much for this great discussion and your analysis of banking trends and for joining me on the IF Global Regulatory Update podcast. And of course, to our longstanding collaboration on this project, looking at risk management trends. Our latest bank risk survey can be found on the EY and IF websites, so I encourage you to check that out. We thank everyone for listening to this podcast and hope that you all stay safe and healthy. Please consider subscribing to the IF Global Regulatory Update on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.